Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com everybody and welcome back to the Tonaris podcast. I am your host James and I'm joined by my good friend Timmy Long. Hi everyone. Ron is on the deck. Say hi Ron. Hi Ron. And Joanne O'Dwyer from Drahada is in the audience or is at the table with us. How are you Joanne? I'm great. Thanks for having me here today. Thanks for coming down. Thanks for coming down. How's your stay in Cork? Yeah lovely. Great time. A lot of lovely food last night. People are lovely. Had a lovely swim, massage, sauna. And I'm here now feeling amazing. And you brought the lovely weather with you. I know. Well, it mm. did rain on the way down the road, but yeah. Mm. No, so great. we've been in contact for a few months and um, you've, you're a fan of the podcast. I am. And uh, you've got your own story. Yeah. A brilliant story, which we're going to get into. An inspirational story. Yeah. Very. For, and as I said before we started, um, we don't have enough women in recovery because of, you know, but what we'll get into, you know, the... This, this shame and the stigmas of addiction is worse for a woman and I think that's why they don't be so forthcoming compared to the men so but before we get into that we go way back for the people that don't know you who's Joanne and where you're from Joanne yeah, well I was originally born in a little village in Sligo so my passport says Sligo um, uh, I was there for around four years my mum uh, was a housewife before that she was a priest housekeeper my dad was a chef so, uh, pretty, I said this to you on the phone, I don't know the, the difference between middle class and working class, but I think we were pretty normal, you know. Um, my dad now was from inner city Dublin, tenement flats, had moved out to, and then kind of was, you know, had left Dublin when he was in his teenage years and became a chef and had worked his way up. So, uh, in fairly normal. I was the second child. My, I did the older brother and then... I came very quickly and then I had another sister and brother and when around the age of four or five we moved from Sligo and we moved to Cavan and that was kind of I suppose tip, typified if that's the right word uh, how my kind of we moved a lot as as children and for me when I look back now I suppose is one of the reasons that maybe I was such an anxious kind of nervy child um, constantly reinventing yourself when you went somewhere new and I was pretty overweight as a child as I said to you I talked about to you about the, the food issues but uh so uh constantly moving from place to place so we, I would have moved from there to it was uh, Offaly, Galway, Carlow ended up in Dublin and then ended up where I am now but in that I went to London and different places so constantly moving new schools and new areas Did you see the conversation we had with traveller man Patrick McCann? No I didn't Well he spoke about growing up as a child in Manchester and then uh, uh, he, I did 
and then moving yeah. from site to site to site i suppose you could relate a bit like that having to reinvent yourself make new friends new dynamics yeah, getting new used to the, the new area the new environment knowing what you can and cannot say because the child the child needs consistency don't they yeah so and you're prone to bullying as well that was something i noticed because you're the new kid mm-hmm. so you always stood out like yeah you're always a new kid it was a bit overweight and i suppose my personality i would have tried to put on a front and try to be you know uh, put on a, a mask or a face or who I, but really underneath i was scared and anxious and i would have been you know full of fear going to school all the time so um like i was i was a good kid in school but when i we end, i remember when i was around 11 or 12 i a lot of um i got asthma and i was only thinking about this last week this is my first kind of when I realised that actually, actually, I was using drugs when before I actually started using drugs. Um, I was I was in a um, bad asthmatic, and I was prescribed medication. And my mum and dad would have been working and out working. I was left at home from school to take your own medication. And sure, I realised one day I took a few too many, and I, I was you know I was getting a little. Oh, this is nice. <laughs> this is a nice little kick. <laughs> and I remember very quickly in a few days after I was doing, it, and then I realised. Mm, stay at home maybe and take these i won't even go you know what i mean i'm staying at home from school taking this medication and i remember one day hallucinating the doctor coming into the house and me like running down the corridor screaming that there was someone attacking me it's only the doctor coming to see me but i was off my head and i think of that now uh you know when what, what i know now about you know medication and stuff but that was i suppose the first and that stage we were living in carlo um School was, I was a good kid, but I remember in second year in, sc- in, second year in school, I won like a class prize. So I was, and I always wanted to please. I was very much a people pleasing child. I was very good at home. I would have worked, mum and dad would have had like, uh, I suppose they were in the hospitality industry, catering and stuff. And dad was, you know, would you had in the kitchen working with him and there would have been, you know, he had bars and stuff. And um, uh, we, I was always a good worker and I always wanted to, you know what I mean, to please my mum and dad. But in second, third year in school, I remember going from winning class prize, I suppose, to doing a very, very poor junior certain. I would have started drinking at that stage. Would have started, you know, messing around. They yeah. enjoy yours, aren't they? The 14s and the 15s, aren't they? Yeah, and we did easy access to alcohol. It was only like it was, it was, it was very normal. Alcohol was very normalised in our house. There was addiction in the house, so you know to 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 drink at that at 14 15 with her you know uh, we would have been given drink at that age you know what i mean from our from you know in the family so uh yeah i remember going i would have been going to school definitely in my junior start years being hung over and drink you know friday monday morning that type of stuff um but you know when you say your family were in catering is that why you were moving was it work related mom and dad with, with the and I, and I know like there was there was huge love in the house um but i suppose unknown to them moving constantly had it had it well it had its impact on me if you look at my other three siblings i suppose you know and and, and i'll talk about that later i suppose you know my addiction was very evident but I, I, when i look at some of them maybe you know their addiction is work or is you know they've, they've different type of beha- coping skills for 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 you know the life that they had but um yeah, that's why we moved a lot because of the, the the business and stuff. And it was out of a good place. Like it was out of a you know my my mum and dad wanted to do well, but I remember dad had investment in a hotel in Carlo and he lost everything. You know it went went into liquidation and he really really struggled with that and he would have he would have uh, I suppose leaned a lot harder on alcohol to manage that and he lost everything uh, around that time. You know so. Um, 
in our later years in school, we ended up, my brother and myself ended up having to live in, a, in another house um, away from the family system. And I suppose my drinking would have got a lot heavier at that stage and drug use. Um, I started smoking weed and stuff in like last two years in school. And where, I was are you, pretty where, where are you living at this stage? Carlo. Carlo. And my mum and dad are living in Leash, but we're living in Carlo. It's it's a mad situation. With a family that um kind of we lived with them midweek and we went home at the weekends and we worked in 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 the, the family business and I went back. So we had a lot of freedom, myself and my brother, an awful lot of freedom. And that's where I just decided, well, sure, I could drink and I could do whatever I wanted. Um Yeah, so that was that, that was up until I don't know pretty poor leaving cert for someone who's probably pretty very capable he's on a, a pretty uh i remember i wanted to leave the year before i was going to become a chef like my dad and i they stayed they, 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 uh, they convinced me to stay on but uh yeah leaving cert year um i was yeah i wasn't with it at all it was just scraped by and um there was incidents in school where I was getting in trouble and just I was just acting out and I went from a very people pleasing young girl to wanting to not give two facts with anybody really you know and um, what kind of drugs were you using at that point <clears throat> cannabis cannabis um, alcohol I hadn't moved on to anything hard at that stage when I, I got I got into college then I got into Carlo IT and um, I always say this I I sought out people who are doing drugs mm. and if i remember i can actually I, I i consciously sought out people that were using drugs i suppose i didn't touch on something there there was would have been i suppose what i know now i suppose as adverse childhood experiences as i growing up there was trauma um from a young age you know what i mean um and uh, I, I would have really struggled with that. And, and I remember getting to around 14, 15, going, I'm going to do every drug there is out there. I'm going to fucking, I just want to, you know what I mean? Get to right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to completely yeah. escape this. I want, I want, yeah. And, yeah. and um, I knew that, you know, cannabis was giving me a bit of a kick and alcohol, but I was like, there has to be something more. There's something more, more out there that There's I have. Something will give yeah. that to me what yeah. I need. Yeah. Uh, I knew I was on the right track. And it does come. Did. It? Oh, I did, yeah. And when it happens, then it's like, oh, Jesus, where? The ecstasy. Where were you all the time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the, that, the that ecstasy at oh, that, the that, young age. And yeah. yeah, that was the, when I, when I went to college, very quickly found a group of smoking weed, ecstasy, yeah. acid, mushrooms. This was, I, I thought, I, ease were just fucking, I loved them. I love the f- love. I love the feeling it gave me the warmth. And I've heard you talk about this yeah. as well. But just that whole everybody, you know, and the 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 immense love you have for people and the crack and the night, the whole. I'm wanting to to, to stay up. I'm wanting it to last forever. I'm not oh. wanting to go to bed and dreading seeing the sunlight because you had to. Oh, <laughs> you had to come. Go looking for more then. Yeah. Oh, stop. Knocking the fella's door at four and five o'clock in the morning. And they come knock the door and they're looking at you. And, what do you want at my door? Like, and you're looking up in the museum. swinging off, yeah. What's wrong with you? I know, yeah. Just come on. Just give them to me, boy, with that. Just come on, come down. I know. No, but but you, some, at, some, at some stage, the party ends, doesn't it? Yeah. It's not a nice feeling then. No, it's not. But I, uh, I suppose you really have to go. It, it, at them early age, ages, you know, you can enjoy it. Yeah. Like, you're still in a free spirit. But you've no, there's no consequences, really. No, no responsibility. No. Your sole purpose in life is to just get out of your head. Yeah. And, you know, maybe maybe a day might go where you've no money, but definitely not two days. No. No, but it, as you said then, like, it, it just 
keeps climbing you said it earlier on like it was just something there to soothe the way you were feeling internally yeah. you know yeah and it was definitely when I look at it now did you go from uh, secondary school into college I did yeah like I mean like a course of like 200 points I, I got you know where it was like I, I possibly was capable of getting a course that was like for four like 400 points I was I was pretty pretty okay but I just lost all interest lost this was what I wanted this was why would I bother studying why when I could be drinking Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday all, of us, at, all of us at this table are proof that ability doesn't mean anything if you're not in the right headspace because it's not that we none of us like I couldn't tell you how many points I got honestly like about 10 I'd say yeah. I the only points I ever got were the ones they kicked over the bell. <laughs> <laughs> or penalty, That's true. penalty points. <laughs> the only one. Yeah. Penalty, penalty points as well. Yeah. Yeah, but but like, it's, it's not that there was a lack of ability of intelligence. It was just because we weren't in the right headspace. We weren't in the right frame of mind. And like it goes back to like the the hierarchy of needs. You know what I mean? If 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 you're not well in yourself and you know you're insecure and your basic needs are. How yeah. can you focus on education mm. and pro- and mm. you know future? Do you know what I mean? Something else is here, like, and it needs to be attended to first. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And do you know what else drugs done for me? And I always I was talking about this. Was they helped me lose weight? I was a seriously, you know what I mean? He's so good at that, aren't yeah. they? Brilliant. The way it fell off me. I went to yeah. London for I left. I had a six pack. No, yeah. <laughs> I was at it for six months. Six months every but night I, of the week. The only six pack I had was six hands <laughs> living in the village. <laughs> but the best drugs, like the, the, you know, what I mean, the way it fell off me. I remember I went. To, I went. I'll go on and tell you. I le- dropped out that year in college by this by the Christmas. I had dropped out, but I didn't tell my parents, and I just stayed partying for the year. And um, one night, my mother. Um, uh, towards the end of the year, um, my mother there was a knock on the door where I was staying, and my mother was looking for me. But she had got words, or someone had told her a guard that knew her was said the house was going to be raided that we were, I was living in because we were doing a little bit of dealing to your mates, you know yeah, the way you yeah, do, yeah, yeah. keeping yeah. the mouth supplied. Tipping away. Yeah, and uh, my my mother's brother was a guard, and someone had told him, said you know obviously the word got through to him that it was a house that I was living in and. Um, got remember got pulled out of that, and she realised then I wasn't going to college. I wasn't fucking. I wasn't there at all. So um, that summer I went to London, and then yeah, that was just a whole nother different level of a stuff. Whole level of yeah, going to like Club UK, Raven, t- you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Was that so back in the nineties? Nineteen, I don't know, nineteen ninety-five. That was a mad time. Yes, the height. That was a mad time. The wasn't it? Seen, yeah. Remember, even back here in Cork at that time, it was completely mad. Like Carl Cox, fucking. It was just, yeah. yeah it was, it was, gr- it was a great time, and it was. It, I, had, I, I, I loved it. It was great, but um, I was probably there for a year, year and a half, and I was selling speed, and I was selling yokes, and I was just tipping around, being taught I was the great one, yeah. you know, the gangster. Like, um, it was a great time. When I think of it now, I made great friends and. But all of them, when I look at it now, I don't think there's too many of them that ended up where they all went back to their, you know, back to their lives where I was like, no, I want more of this. This is great crack. So, um, it goes back to the, the, the trauma thing that you spoke about, you know. Lots of people will experiment drugs at some stage of their lives, but if you have all that underlying stuff, you're far more likely to use that and go into addiction than somebody that doesn't. They might be able to go through that phase and then go on about their lives mm. and never end yeah. up in addiction. It's, it's, it's like you said it there, you know, when you were using drugs, had you much self-esteem? No, I was no, confidence. Yeah, but like, when you were stoned, you had plenty of it. Yeah. You know, and 
you you were getting used to having the self esteem, the confidence, the bit of respect you were getting for selling the drugs, and you don't want to live without it. Then you want to lose that identity because yeah. you're I getting noticed in life. You're getting you're getting respect. You're getting noticed by people as somebody. Ah, fuck it, look at who it is. Trying is good for getting you know? the drugs or yeah. shops. Yeah. I was a great mate, great yeah. cracker. I was uh, the best of cracker. I was you yeah. know. So people want to be around you, and when you weren't doing that. People didn't want to be around you. And when you're coming from a place of, like you said, from trauma and from being overweight, low self-esteem, low self-worth, being anxious, that's, you know what I mean? It's such a fake place, but it's, it's the place you want to be because it's it, it, it's serving you so well. It's a coping skill, yeah. isn't it? And it yeah. works. Yeah. Until yeah. it didn't. Yeah. Did, 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 was there any, was there, was there at any point during these periods like that you were suffering with your mental health in a bad way that like... It was really, really bad. Later like, on, when, when it went to, yeah, well, I suppose we all had, we've all had downers where we're coming off stuff and we're like, oh, it's dreadful. But, you know, we know now that that's only a bad day. But, yeah, when I moved on to, I suppose, heroin and coke, there would have been, and I even even there a few weeks ago, I found a suicide note that I, I, I obviously kept it for a reason. But I remember looking at it and I was, I was saying goodbye to people. And one part of me is going, oh, you fucking idiot, cringing. And then the other part of me is going, you must have been in a bad fucking place mm. to have wrote that. You know, um, and and there was yeah later on yes there was my mental health like I I uh, would have been you know some self harm and you know what I mean cutting myself um, not to the level I suppose that I want to work with people now that I see but definitely uh, yeah and um, uh, some bit of uh, like purging and making myself sick after binge eating would have would have happened as well. But yeah, there was definitely um, times of like when I got when the heroin um, addiction got to the very end. Yeah, there was there was very dark times and times where I pro probably thought I was better off and leaving my son and leaving because I was just such a mess at that stage. You know. What age was your son born? He was born in two thousand. I was um, I ended up when I came back from London. I met his dad and we started. I suppose I was still going out, going to the Ormond, going to sides, going partying, raves, and there was nights then where I realised that there was people smoking heroin to come down off off yokes and I remember going I'm never doing that that's that's a different junkies that's did right. you move back to Dublin yeah we came home from London and when I moved home from London my parents were living in Dublin so I find myself a nice flat in Ballybock in the city centre and I remember at the time there was a lot of vigilante marches going on I remember there was Concerned regularly yeah yeah, yeah and um Myself and my son's dad, and God, he's he's dead since, so I won't want to. But he uh, he he um, we got together, and sure, he was a drug dealer, and we were, you know, it was living a good life at the beginning. But um, there was nights where there was people smoking heroin, and I was like, I'm never doing that. But sure, there was a day where I needed to go to work, or I needed to, you know what I mean, to function the following day, and someone said, take that, you'll sleep, and and that was it. Then I remember. That's when I knew I found what I was looking for because mm, I remember smoking it, going, "What the fuck is it's this?" Such a like, nice this feeling, is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's like someone got me and wrapped their arms around me and gave me the biggest kiss and hug I'd ever got. I felt so secure and so because all of a sudden life all, becomes manageable. Yeah, because all my life I'd I'd want I hadn't had that. Nobody had ever, and I was just this is it, yeah, and that was it. Nights on yokes ceased to exist then mm. and it was and I remember we all our mates that we used to go out we used to come and knock on the door and we'd be hiding in and he, Mark used to live at a little shed out the back of his mother's and, and we'd hide we had the curtains pulled and we'd be smoking away and we'd hide and they'd be coming out and we'd be no 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 we're, we're not going out tonight we're not. four or five bags under you know what I mean and we'd spend the whole and so all weekends then ended up from going from 
partying and doing yoga to sitting in and smoking and smoking and yeah i yeah. said i said the story a few times but uh back in before heroin came into cox you know we used to be drinking up in hollyville and every thursday some of the lads that used to be working used to join us you know thirsty thursday bag of cans you know good crack and then the heroin started coming in and at the end of the the cans we go and we get some gear and we'd smoke that and slowly but surely the tin file took over the drug, the alcohol, and Thursday Thursday turned into tin file Thursday, and tin file Thursday turned into tin file Wednesday morning, and tin file Monday, and then there was no work, and then it was just all tin file, and it's just the crack goes with it, doesn't it? Any yeah. bit of socialising is gone. Yeah, he didn't want anybody. He didn't want anybody we used to hang out with. We smoked weed with, or we done anything with. I mean, just pulled away from them because they, they, you know, would have been the judgment on it, I suppose. And yeah, and there's a bit of shame. Yeah. And um, was heroin at that point in Dublin was was everywhere yeah, as well, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, you're talking 97, 1996, 97, 98 around them years, yeah. Um, yeah, and like it wasn't long then before. Like I, m- I remember being sick the first time. I remember being sick and 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 and, and saying to to you know to me that I wasn't going to go and meet him because I didn't feel well, and he was like. What do you mean you don't feel well? And I said, just feel like, I don't feel good. And I'm not, you know what I mean? And he's going, you're sick. You're sick. And I said, what do you mean I'm sick? And he's like, you're sick. You're sick because you don't have heroin. And I'm going, what? What? Mm-hmm. Okay, right. Um, and then there was times we tried to get off it. And we would be like, he, I remember he bought me methadone once, street methadone. I remember taking it, being violently sick, like 20, 30 mils, being violently sick. And um, things went on like that. We started then dealing and um Eventually, moved on to the needle. There was a night where didn't have it. There wasn't enough to go around. The two of us, and we just something I never thought I ever do. I know. You know what I mean? Moved on to they, they, all them thoughts, though. They become a reality eventually, don't they? They do, yeah. You know, I like I, I never used heroin myself because um, I had I had first-hand experience with people that were using heroin back in early in the nineties when I lived in France, and I got a really bad fright, you know. I remember being at home inside my family home. I come in the door. James would hang around with my younger brothers, and I'd walk in the door, and the two of them would be inside the front room, and their fucking heads would be like that, dropping. But I was so naive; I didn't want to believe that there was anything else. They'd tell me that they're after taking a few giants, you know, and that that was it. And I believed it. I remember the first time someone. It's easier to believe than accept the reality of it, like. The first time tur- someone turned around to me and they says, you know what, Timmy? Your two brothers are strung out in the gear, like. I said, fuck off, you fool. And they ended up fighting, you know. I said, nah, they're not that stupid at all. They wouldn't go near that. And they did. Two of them got strung out, you know. Um, for me, as far as I ever went, I, I got, f- I, I liked a bit the crack cocaine. And I, I really liked it towards the end. And I might go on a binge for a week or, or, or something like that. But thankfully, that experience that I had back in France in, in 97, it stopped me from ever wanting to go down that road, no matter how sick I was, coming down off cocaine or tablets or drink or whatever. You know, so I'm very, very grateful for that. You know, if anything, what I get from France was, was the first Healthy fear of it, like, yeah. I think we, I had a fear of it too, because, I, like, my dad is from Dublin and he was well aware of what heroin did to Dublin. But it was sold to us in a way. It was a safe or non-addictive way. Smoking it on the tin fire, it was harmless. It's not needles. It's not HIV. It's not, you know. 
it's not like uh, no blood or you know, all these kind yeah. of stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's nice and it makes you feel nice and you know, that was it. And until until one day you can't get it and then you're sick and it's like, sick, I, I didn't think that I'd get these type of withdrawals if I wasn't. It's just stupid naivety really, you know what I mean? What kind of sickness is it? What does it feel like? Is oh, it's like, you know, like if you had a bad flu. Yeah. A very bad flu. It's a, it's a very <laughs> it's a very bad flu, and then you throw in on top of it insomnia, probably diarrhea. Okay. And how long does that that last? About five the, days. Yeah. Legs, restless legs. I remember that's the one thing. I remember doing a detox and coming out of Bow Mountain. Off, I did detox me off Metron. I remember the legs. I just couldn't. And my legs would not stop shaking. I you know, couldn't sleep. You know what used to get me the, the most. Legs. Just this feeling of your legs just jumping. You know, oh. the, the coldness. Your body would be, you know, every little hair follicle on your body would be standing up from head to toe all over your skin is crawling. And the nose running and, and at the f- complete. And but you know what you get great relief from? Just lying in a, a hot bath or standing under a hot shower. I used to get great relief for that. And if I was going cold turkey, I'd have four or five bats in the day if I was locking myself into a house, you know what I mean? But it's fucking horrible, isn't it? Oh, stop. Oh, and I mean, we're rubbing Vicks on your me legs. I used to be rubbing Vicks on my legs to try and stop them from the shaking and the just anything to... Yeah. But yeah, I like that. And my back used to kill me. I never forget that. The I, pain in my back. And you know what the, how, how intense all that is? Do you know if you just take one, one drag of the smoke? One. Yeah. Gone. Gone. But even you have in your hand and it's gone. Oh, really? Do you know the psychological part of, like, you meet it, you're dying sick. The minute you have in your hand and it's like, Okay, yeah, because it yeah. is. I mean, you know you have it then, and it's like yeah. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be okay in a bit. But my vein, like even today, I I was getting bloods done. I've no veins now. Like they're all because like, towards the end I was using coke and gear together, so my veins are fucked. And um, even at the end, like I struggled to get my veins, and I struggled to, and I used to be skin popping, and I'd be you know syringes full of blood, and you'd be getting ulcers and you know like just in a mess but even still anything into you just to if it gets so panicky that I wouldn't be able to get me vein I just stick it in me anywhere just so that it you get some relief because you're not going to waste a bag you're not going to waste you know and that is the reality of it isn't it Joanne like that is the reality of of of, of yeah, that life desperate desperation yeah it was crazy at the end absolutely you know. what was it how, how bad did it get for you before what how did it come to a head what was the turning point for you my son was four. Um, I had him. I remember. I remember walking out of the hospital with him, and like I was Hep C positive. I was, and like Mark, and most of the two of us were chronic, like absolutely. And uh, he, he, I even thought. I thought when I had my son that that would be the motivation to get clean, but it wasn't because he actually got way worse then. And myself and his dad kind of went our separate ways, um, and. I suppose I started, I was running, I was carrying drugs for people, I was doing a bit of, and we had, we had done a lot of doing, we used to go in and out of, like, bring drugs into the country, myself and Mark, but when King came along, that wasn't, so I was kind of running around for people and doing, the, you know, carrying stuff in cars and that type of stuff. Um, Things got, yeah, pretty, I suppose, like, I, I, I started using coke and, and gear together, and um, that was a whole nother, a whole This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Another level of, you know what I mean? I was and, like, just so people understand this, right? <clears throat> That is to the extent you have to go to get drugs to feed your habits. Like. Yeah, because the, the gear wasn't doing yeah. it anymore for me. So I had to yeah. mix it with coke then uh, and in just, order to... You have to feed it in some way and, and, and you'll go to absolutely any lengths to get what you need. What's, you it, like? What's it like injecting cocaine and heroin at one time? You get a huge rush from, from the coke. Uh, you get the coke first, a huge, and then you don't have that horrible fucking feeling yeah. from coke it's kind of a more mellow it's a me- and I'm not glorifying I know <laughs> yeah it's nice it's stronger <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not I'm, I don't want to glorify it no. but yeah it is you get the coke you get yeah. the, the hit from the coke first and then you get the, the gear kind of and it just it takes the edge out you know when you come down off coke mm-hmm. and it's like that yeah and but it's nice yeah. I, I just inject coke on its own and then I take the gear afterwards I feel the, the effects of it and then the gear afterwards come down. Actually, yeah, a lot of people bolt. actually injecting cocaine these, these days. It, yeah. It's something like I really, really never heard of it. Oh, it used to be a big thing. Do you remember the snow blow from the head shops? Yeah. Injecting that with heroin was a big thing. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ruin the coke, ruin your veins. Ruined. Does it? Really? Is, is, is it because Blow, of the, the yeah. chemicals that are yeah. in it? Eats away at your veins and it just, yeah, ruins your veins. So, how did it all end for you? Sorry, you asked me already. Um, I was... I'm I was on a charge for uh, an armed robbery. Um, I had a good, char- a good few charges at this stage for different stupid things. And I remember I was in court just around this time of year and um, I was injecting into my neck and into my groin. And my doctor had been saying, like, you're going to, you're going to, you know what I mean? You're going to end up dead if you don't cop yourself on. And um, I was in court for the armed robbery. And I remember I was off I wasn't in a good place and the judge started shouting at me that I was presented in court off my head and disrespecting the uh, the court and um, I remember seeing the guard coming towards me with the handcuffs and I was obviously going to prison for this what I would uh, the armed robbery and um, 
a, 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 I was going to say a copper a guard stood up that knew me and said um, he knew my dad and he said um, he pleaded with the, the, the judge not to lock me up that I was a good person but that I just went down a bad road and that I had a child and um, and I remember getting away with it and I walked outside I got a suspended sentence and I had to give I had to, I had to you know probation for two years or three years and I got outside the court and he came out after me running after me and he said you need to cop yourself on or you're going to end up dead or in prison um, and he said you're you know you're like what we talked about earlier you're so capable and you've got so much going for you he said but you're just you're going to you're going to end up in you know what I mean something bad's going to happen to you that was that was within that and a conversation with my doctor at the time and my mum and dad had left Dublin and um, had moved again to where I am now and they said why don't you come down and see what you you know what I mean what you think of County Loud and, and you know if you don't like it you move back to Dublin and at the time I was living in squalor with Keane and I'd moved out of the home I was I was like li- me and Keane were living together and I was just I was things were and I said things gonna have to improve and then I met a man um around that time as well who I sin- married and I'm since divorced from him but um, he supported me and I'd always given that he um, helped me stop using heroin and I stopped using heroin the day I met him I remember I just I didn't inject anymore after that um, and that was kind of the turning point for me I things had, at this stage I was 10 years of madness and my son like I said to you earlier my son had, used to say to me like to take your green medicine you know, when, when I, if I wasn't good in myself. And so there was a lot of realisation. I remember looking at him and saying, in another few years, he's going to, he's not stupid. Like, he's Smart four or five kid. now. Yeah. Smart kid. Yeah. He's not, he's not, he's not, you know, I'm not going to get much longer out of this. So that was in 2005. That's the last time I, in, I injected heroin. But as I said to you earlier, I thought I was, <laughs> I've stopped injecting heroin and everything's grand and I'll just move on with my life. But that was only the start of it. Um, I was on probably 78 mils of methadone, a lot of benzos, street benzos and probably prescribed. And um, the whole process of that, I ballooned to 24, 25 stone. I just started eating. I mean, apps, I couldn't walk. I was so big. So I thought I was, you know, I, I had I had done the piece of work myself, but I hadn't. I hadn't looked at what was going on inside me psychologically. I hadn't started peeling back the shit, the years of crap. So, how did you and how did you get on that journey of the personal development? I I've been to all through my whole like I'm, I've been to different therapists all through addiction. But you know yourself when you're sitting there off your head in front of somebody, there's only that much of it landing with you. So, and um, I yeah got got I got in touch with a therapist down here and started, and then I started doing a lot of my own self help stuff. So I started meditating, started a kind of mindfulness, started self-educating myself started reading up on stuff and then i decided right maybe i'll go back to college so i applied as a mature student to um university of ulster um i also went through hep the hep c treatment in 2011 or so so then four or five years of just trying to get some stability and kind of build myself back up and um started to do the work on myself around the, the huge amount of weight loss the waste gain that I had and you know and what all that was and it all made, started to make sense then why I was 
you know, the overeating and the and the addiction and all that. I done the work on myself. Um, I'm not saying I ever do. You never do the whole work on yourself. It's always I've only I've, I probably I've done a bit. I've done enough to get me by. You get yeah. enough to get you where you I, are I, today. I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. enough to get me by at the moment because I'm not, I don't want to run off and use a bag of heroin. I don't want to eat, but like. Um, and you get comfortable. You can get comfortable yeah. in in this spot too, but you have to kind of shock yourself into saying there's a whole lot more there. You're you're able to deal with your stuff now, even the stuff from years and years ago, because you've tools to understand that there's nothing wrong with you. You're a good person. I deserve to be loved. You know, and I, I I'm I'm smart. You know, I can do this. I don't need drugs or alcohol to get me through. But there's more. There's absolutely a whole lot more of peace. There's a whole lot more understanding. There's a whole lot more forgiveness for you. There's so much more. And, and the reason I'm saying this now is because I have gotten comfortable being able to just get by and not be as bad as things were before. But no, I said, no, do you know what? We'll do a little bit more work because there's more healing there to be done. A whole lot of more you know, a whole yeah. lot. And we'll never get a certificate no. saying we've recovered. Go <laughs> on about your business. That won't yeah, happen. It's handed here, like, here's your degree, uh, uh, your master's. There's nothing uh, like that. Yeah, it's, 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 it's ongoing. It's, it's so constantly ongoing. For life. Yeah, yeah. For life. Yeah. And, and, and thank, thank God. Thank God we'll never be perfect. Thank God. Because the day I believe that I'm perfect in any way is the day I'm actually after losing my mind again. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, I, I, I always say, I say to people I work with now, and I think this is so true, people in recovery, the work that they do on themselves, we're so much more, and I'm not being, this is not um, superiority or anything, but uh, you, you look at the amount of work that people in recovery do on themselves, and there's people out there that never look at themselves, never. So, you know, the, the, the healing and the, you know, the, the, I suppose, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, the healing and the, the I suppose evolving the evolve the how much growth. we have, the growth yes yeah, that, the growth. that we have and from self awareness yeah, that we get from from our journey and what we've done is you know what I mean I think not everybody gets that no and I, I think that's a lot of people are you know Jim uh, said it there is very important too you know that self awareness aspect to recovery right an awful lot of that comes from the people that are around you as well and when they find something out. You know, for me, I get pointed out, stuff gets pointed out to me by my my kids, and they're my biggest educators, you know. They might say, Dad, you know what? Bring it back a little, you know. You know, you're a little bit heavy, and the, 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 the words are, uh, you're kind of you know, stressed or anxious because I might kind of be more reactive to something. And, and um, I've noticed lately there that they're actually right. And, and instead of me reacting to that and saying, there's nothing wrong with me. No, I said, you know what, you're actually right. You're right. And, and and I am stressed. I am a little bit too busy. So I'm gonna pull it back. I'm gonna listen. You know, I'm gonna give you more time. You know, and, 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 and that for me is self reflection as well, through somebody else's eyes. Because if I had to listen to myself and reflect on what my mind is telling me, it's just telling me you're grand, you're grand, you're wrong. But it's it's, it's I'm wrong. Because my ego is the one telling me I'm I'm okay when I'm not okay. You know, and there's a big part of a big part of recovery, I think, is the humility. The idea the the idea that like we're not recovered and we do have to continuously, you know, have a look at what we're doing, our behaviours and be open to learning and be open to receiving criticism and feedback when it's given to you in a constructive way. 
Det der, as you said it there, det der, you think you know it all, det der, you stop learning. Do you know what I mean? And we have to be on the learning all the time, no matter how long you are away from a drink or a drug, or even if you're still taking a drink or a drug. Do you know when we spoke off camera, like recovery is not the day you become abstinent, it's the day you start your recovery. It's the day you decide you want a better life, it's the day you're in recovery, and it's a long continuum. And we know people abstinent for years, and I know people on methadone, and the people on methadone have a way better recovery than the people that are abstinent, so... Yeah, and we all know people in, in you know, in, whether um, in fellowships or whatever that are, are as sick as small hospitals. They're not, they might be abstinent, but they haven't done the other piece. Like your your, your drug status is, is one little part of your recovery piece. It's about everything else that you put around you. It's all your, your recovery capital. It's, it's it's you know, it's it's an attitude to life. It's a being, it's an awareness, it's a it's everything else. But, you know, some people just think, oh, I just have to stop using and then uh, and I live the NAA. And I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing NAA. I think it definitely has a place because I, I use it in early recovery but um i do think you know a lot of people get very fixated on whether it's you know your status or whether you're you're absent or not and, and that's uh, we talked about it that i'm doing my dissertation on that now for my masters but uh um i do think we need to lo- start looking at recovery as a yeah it's just a, the, the desire to change you had joanna to, ivers on do you know Joanna Ivers? She's my she's my professor and she's my supervisor for my dissertation. Yeah, doctor oh, doctor yes. Joanna Ivers. Doctor. I should address her. Professor. Joanna oh, Ivers. professor. Is prof- professor. Is professor she's higher prof- than yes, doctor. Yes, it is. Yeah, it yeah, is. yeah. She's but professor now. We got an anonymous letter after that podcast from a staunch AA person that said that we dilute the message of recovery by talking about this stuff. But it's not. We're not giving flack to A or NA or no, anything like that. that yeah. We're just like. Uh, we have to include everybody in the recovery journey, not just the people that are abstinent, because abstinence is not a mark of your recovery. It's just, it's it, it can be certainly a good thing to have if yeah, that's what you want. If that's what you want, yeah. 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 But like, just because you're on medication or methadone or whatever, like you're, we're still in still in recovery. You know what I mean? And, and you have to look at recovery along a continuum from the day you decide you want a better life to the day you die, and yeah. everybody is involved. And E and NA. And all these different groups, they're absolutely massively important in any anybody. Everybody recovery. could do with doing the twelve steps. Y- yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Massively, yeah, like, they're because a gr- they're they, a great way to live your life. They give you a sense but, but of community yeah. at the beginning. They give you a sense of relation, the fellow, fellowship, yeah. social, yeah. social circles. But so, it's a direction that a lot of people need in early recovery. Because how, who, do you, when you were looking for recovery, you know yourself. What do I do? How do I get it? It's just like nobody gives you a manual <laughs> for this. So, but so NAA are fantastic for that. It definitely shows people the way. But I do think there, there's more a hundred ways to skin a cat. Like, and and I I think one thing that really stuck out for me and my research was that we talk about stigma in, in addiction recovery right now we always talk you know what I mean there's huge stigma and people are you know it's barriers to getting treatment and people you know don't want to talk about their, their you know their situation because of the judgment and all that but yet we're now judging people within recovery that are maybe on you know medica- medically assisted or that are you know take a drink or that because they're not abstinent so if i went into an aa meeting or an na meeting today they tell me no 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 you're you're you take a drink now so you, you're not in recovery so that's a message that we're sending to people that if you are you know so maybe you know if I'm on low dose of methadone, I can't go to a meeting because I'm going to be. It's going to be. I'm going to be shunned. I'm going to be stigmatized. So we're we're ousting a huge population of people in recovery because of 
their you know we're looking at their 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 drug status or, or alcohol status is where recovery is you know is huge it's not just about that that's one part of it and it has to be inclusive for yeah. everybody yeah so why you know we're the very people that are talking about stigmatizing people and we feel stigmatized all our lives for being an addiction but yeah we're now stigmatizing people in recovery you spoke about research you're doing do you want to bring us to the education journey? Because education has been a big part of your recovery. Yes, I have, so, yeah. what was the part where? I applied as a mature student to become a counsellor, psychotherapist in the University of Ulster, and I got accepted. Um, and I, that, that was a huge piece of, I suppose, self help. But I started learning on that. It was every day I was going, oh, God, that's, that's, that's me. That, that was me. This is very exciting. I remember I used to come uh, home and I'd be like, on the way home, going, the dots were starting to that was, that was me in college as well. I like, was like, things start home making and sense. people and going, yeah, never guess what they talked about today. And she was talking about attachment. Now, when I look at my, and they'd be like, what is she on about? But it all started to make sense. Stuff started to land with me. Yeah. And, and that, that was a huge piece. The, 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 I suppose my own learning. Um, I then, I got, I got a CE place in um, uh, Loud Community Drug and Alcohol, which is now the Red Door, which I'm back in now. I went full circle back to it. They gave me a chance. And um, I started off there as support staff. And um, then I got an internship. I had 156 people in Stanhope Centre in Dublin. The HSE gave me an internship. And I remember at the time, I'm feeling just, you know, like all the, the imposter syndrome of why am I here? Why do after, you know, they're after giving me this place. And um, I remember being told on the first day I went in and the manager said to me, do you know 156 people applied for this post and you got it? And she said, uh, you're just your honesty and you're, because I was like, I'm in recovery. I'm in recovery. <laughs> and I said, your honesty got it. And I went in, that was huge learning for me as well. Because I remember going in and, I learned a lot about being being a child of someone in addiction. So being, you know, being the other side, because I, I knew what it was like to be the, the person, but I, I started to look at it in a different lens then. I saw what it was like from a family member. So I was trying to relate to what that's what it was like for my son, that it was like for me in my house growing up with addiction. There's a lot of learning for that for me as well. I stayed there for around a year and a half, and then I went to Cool Mine. So I got my qualification, became a counsellor, and um, I went to Cool Mine then for two years, and the great learning there as well. Um, and also another thing cool mine gave me was I was I would have hid my I suppose I wouldn't have been wouldn't have been as open as I am now about my recovery it, definitely in in you know work and stuff um, and cool mine kind of encouraged me to you know be open and proud and loud and proud about it yeah and I did start to own it and that gave me a huge amount of healing and freedom as well and I would talk more about it and kind of and I suppose you know exactly what we're doing here today talk trying to get rid of stigma and trying to normalize that people do struggle with mental health and struggle with you know me and timmy went public with our stories and the, the telly and on the podcast there's there's huge healing in that for us too and growth it's like i don't have to be worried now about will they find out more everybody fucking knows now there's a bit of relief now we're not trying to hide it anymore do you know and then when you get people contacting us saying i can relate with you um, I, I can identify with you. I, a lot of similarities. What did you do? And then they're, they're on their journey, you know what I mean? And then we, we we keep what we have by giving it away. Isn't that the same? Yeah. Like, we can't give it away if we're stuck in a room and our head is down and we say nothing. Get on with your life. Keep your head down. Don't tell anybody. That doesn't help anybody, you know what I mean? This is the new wave of recovery, you know, you know? Loud and proud and visible. Yeah. And, and, and it's about you're, you're being loud and proud actually help those who are quiet in, in the corners ashamed full of guilt and fear 
because of of their own recovery process and uh, where they are on in their own life and and it's not about thinking we're anything thinking we're we're, we're better than the society or better than anybody it's about as james said it's about ch- changing the stigma changing how people think around addiction mental health so others can come forward and talk about what's going on for them and get the help that they need as well because we are growing as a society as a nation as, as a population and we need to roll with the times you know and we, everybody needs to roll with the times as well because 20 years ago addiction wasn't talked about no alcoholism was, wasn't talked about. And, and what we're doing with the podcast is uh because it started out as addiction and recovery podcast, you know, with people coming in here the whole time talking about they're recovering from they have different eating disorders or chronic illness, but we've all the same life experiences. We all we're all the same people. Everybody's we've been all, hurt. Everybody's yeah. in pain. Everybody and you're going to gather You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, and for it's, us, it's, it was drugs and alcohol, and for others, it's food or it's self harm or it's illness or it's relationships or there's bereavement, but. We're all recovering, and if we can get people to just think like that, they are an addiction, and we're not an addiction. No, we're all the same. We all feel the same pain. We all want the same things, which is a bit of peace of mind, a bit of contentment. And some of us have different coping skills, but we're all healing together now. You know, mm. it's great. Yes, yeah. it? it's brilliant. Uh, having these conversations and people listening, going, actually, it's okay to it's okay to talk about what's going on for me because, and I find that in my research, I met I've like so far interviewed. 11 people in recovery and one of my questions is do you tell people in recovery and a lot of people are like no I don't there's still a huge amount of, of stigma and shame attached to it so having these conversations is, is addressing that so it's yeah. fantastic yeah. yeah and it's not like you go around and say hello my name's James and I'm in recovery it's like if people ask you I wouldn't deny it but you don't have to go around fucking telling everybody either you know what I mean but I'll tell you another very important thing and I think this is um it's important for everybody to hear. Those of us who do judge people that are recovering from alcohol, drugs, or whatever it may be, you'll never know when you will actually want that person in your life to help your son or daughter or brother or wife or husband, you know, because these people in recovery from alcohol and drugs are the people you're going to turn to when your son or daughter is suffering from alcoholism or drug addiction or mental health or whatever you'll go to that person because if they have first-hand experience and they can help you and that's the way i see it we need to we need to help people in recovery to move on so they don't get caught and start hiding here because of guard vetting processes and because they've done this and done that and you'll we need to say right that you've done your shit you were in prison you got your lab, whatever happened. No, you're doing well. Let's move on to the next process. Let's let's push them. Let's give them jobs. Let's you know. Let's give them the help they require to move on. Let's not stun them where they are. You know. Let's not keep them there because most people have been traumatized as young kids and they've gone through that and tough and then they get caught up in addiction and life is tough and people don't want to know them. No, they're in recovery and people still don't want to know them and they're saying. What's yeah, the what's point? the point? Might as well go use it. Might as well back use it. Because you know, I can't no, get the job. Yeah. Nobody wants yeah. me up. You know? So yeah. we need to start looking at a little differently at that. That's why part of it should be the, the decriminalisation piece, 100%. you know? 100%. Because, like, you know, you're, you're working in drug and alcohol services. Like, the people are very unwell people, very hurt people, and they're using the only thing they have available to them to cope, which is a drug. 
what what sort what you know what services or what good is it to put that person into prison? What does it doesn't make any sense? Yeah, we're we're putting people who are in pain, who are you know, who are traumatized into prison further traumatizing them. It's just it's and exposing them to more yeah, criminality to more, and yeah. drugs and stuff like that. What's the masters you're doing? Masters in addiction recovery in Trinity College, Professor Johan Ivers, yeah. So I'm Joe I'm, Barry involved there. He was, yeah, Joe's retired now. Cockman. Yeah, lovely man, yeah. Um so I'm just finished, I'm just I've one more assignment to do, which I need to get my arse out and do it. Uh, <laughs> literature review and then yeah, my dissertation, as I said, non absence based recovery is what I'm trying to focus on. So uh yeah, I'm enjoying it. Um yeah, it's come. I suppose there's been trying to. I'm trying to buy me a little house at the moment. Like I'm 45, and I'm only. I'm doing. I've done everything backwards. I'm trying to get the. You know, the little house and the, the quality of life and, um. You know, my son is doing well and things are really, really good. And I'm really happy. So my quality of life is amazing, and I'm really happy and content. And um, I've probably never been in this place in my life. You know, I mean, I'm happier now than I ever was when I was 25, 35, 45. So it's brilliant to hear. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's about you know the, you know the, having the good people around me and the, the, I suppose people that want the best for me and me wanting the best for them and just living my. I don't like. Don't give two fecks what anyone thinks anymore. I suppose I would have spent a lot of time thinking, worrying about what other people thought and and that. Um, that attitude of not giving a fuck anymore is sorry for cursing. Okay, of course. Uh, <laughs> is it stood it stood me well. Yeah. But I, I think you're amazing anyway. Me too. That's what Aww, I think. Me too. You. Yeah, you're a very inspirational woman. Thank and you. And it's an honour to sp- you know, speak to you across the table. Thank you very much. Honestly. Great to be here. Um yeah. be, you know, before we move on. Yeah. I just want to ask you a little bit about Drahada. How's Drahada a couple of rocky years above the people recovering from that? There's be a huge collective trauma. In yeah. the town at the moment. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Very ro- few rocky years for for Drada. Um. I suppose Drada is no different than any other town in Ireland. You look at I suppose there's you know there's towns like Longford, Turles. There's towns in Ireland that which was Drada became came to the forefront because of what happened with the young the young man who died. Um. Yeah. Uh, we're getting there, I suppose. Um, there is an impl- the the Gearn report has money has been kind of coming towards Drada now, and there has been a huge, you know, the departments and uh, the government departments have, you know, pledged a lot of money towards it, and there's implementation of that happening. Um, our, our service, the Red Door, has seen, you know, has seen an increase in staff, uh, but uh, it's getting there. Um, it takes time, doesn't it? It does. That you look at Limerick and what happened. Like we're no draw is no different to Limerick. What very similar, there. actually. Yeah, mm. very similar situation. Um, there's still, I suppose, a lot of the people involved in the feud are either in prison or have left the country. The guards would tell us that. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of died down at the moment, and there's been a huge a lot of guards have brought into the town, and there's a, you know a lot more awareness. A lot of the community is very good in Drogheda, and people are very you know were, were at the time very shocked and very scared. There was you know I mean the young or old people were were pretty you know shook up about it, but uh, think yeah it's uh, as a, as a community there's uh, uh, you know recovery from that traumatic experience is happening. Um, a lot more secure people are kind of getting back to. Uh, yeah, and hopefully that's the yeah. the wish, end of it. And we wish everybody in Drahad all the best with all that. And you never know, maybe we'll do a live podcast well, up I, there I, when I, it I was is. going to ask you to come down for a recovery month and maybe do a podcast. We have a podcast room in the Red Door. It's September, to is it? Yeah. Yeah, well, we were in Ballymun last year, so we can come to Drahad this year. That's a, that's a, that's a date now. You're pro- you promised me. Talk off camera. <laughs> 
I don't want to commit Timmy to anything. Timmy's but, like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'd we be strategic. No, I know, I know. Yeah. If we're strategic about it, we could go up and record a podcast with you for recovery month and then kind of get a few different guests while we're up that side of the world. So look, we'll talk about it off camera, but it was lovely speaking with you. Thanks yeah. for coming to Cork Thanks, to talk John. to us. And best of luck with your masters. Thank you. And I hope you get it published. Oh, so do I. Anybody out there that wants to talk to me about non-absent face recovery, my phone number will be on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, and your links, your uh, social medias and stuff. Slan. Slan. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 